Hello, and welcome to Totem Talks. Season 3. It's a pleasure to be here. Episode 21. We're drinking. We're not drinking, yeah. but well, the, the podcast can drink this season again. Yeah, finally. It's yet again, fun. yet again, season three can uh, go to the bar and get a Bev. Although uh, just not with us right now, because it's nine in the morning. Yeah, it's 9.06. Come on. That's five o'clock Fair enough. Somewhere. You know what? It's five. You're right. <laughs> just, I think we're good to go. You're right. You're right. Uh, I mean, I've already been awake for five hours, so I'm ready to go. I've been awake for like 27 minutes. <laughs> And I'm raring to go. Oh, should good. we should we tell our audience w- why we're doing it at nine in the morning on a, on a day? I think they can guess by now that we recorded this episode uh, yesterday, and then <laughs> because of technical difficulties, it all got deleted when we were like ninety five percent of the way through it. 95. This just seems to be ever since we moved to remote, like every other episode, just turns off and deletes itself 95% of the way into the recording process. Yeah, it's been a... F- so it, ooh, I was going to say some words because yeah. it's early and I'm uh-huh. angry. Yeah, it hasn't uh, been a fun ride, no, is what Pat's trying to say. Yeah, but the technical difficulties appear to be under control. And however, now there's no chance this episode's coming out. However, <laughs> let me be clear, because you'll never hear this. If there's any technical difficulties on this one and it shuts off... We're quitting the podcast. <laughs> right. You'll We're done. Know. We're just done. <laughs> um, but we actually have an interesting one today, which is why we're we pushing do. through. Uh, because we have some interesting stuff to talk about. And uh, before we do that, why don't we do you know the introductions and the housekeeping? housekeeping. Um, it's just Nick and I today, so Totem Talks. I'm Pat. He's Nick. We're done. Right. Um. Some uh, general housekeeping stuff. Uh, we want to thank everybody for all of your support uh, through the episodes, through the years at this point, year and a half almost. Right. Time is zooming. But, um, sure is. Thank you so much for that. Um, we would really appreciate uh, if you could tell people about us. You know, we're just a wee little bitty podcast who needs uh, its supporters to throw us at people violently. Very violent. Um, maybe just start attaching yourself to public Wi-Fi's and public speakers and playing the episodes. <laughs> yeah, that works. I mean, I'm sure that's easy to do. Just yeah, I mean, when I do that all the time. When you're sitting in a public space, airdrop an episode to everybody in the room. I love that. I mean, just just whatever you can possibly do to convince people to listen to even five minutes of this podcast, because five minutes will hook you. That's of course. That's, that's what we're that's what we're banking on. <laughs> yeah. Um but also if you just use the hashtag totem talks to comment on an episode on social media, you know, something you may have liked, something you may have disliked, that would be also pretty fun. Some other things that I that uh, I was doing without telling anybody cuz I just felt like it I saw the option and did it is I've been putting a poll up on Spotify. Um, you right. know, I'm uh, um, through Anchor, not not technically not a sponsor anymore, but it's our right. podcasting service that we use to host our podcast, Totem Talks. Um, you have the option now to make a poll directly into Spotify. Um, so I, you know, I've been doing that. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing that every week. I was doing it kind of on and off just to kind of see if anybody sure. was responding. But now I'll tell you about it so you can respond, even if you don't listen on Spotify. If you want to vote for your artist of the week, uh, just pop on over to Spotify, click the button. 
That that, that would do that. That would be fun for that. Uh, and yeah, it's last good to be but, involved. <laughs> last but not least, if you want to be like a true totem head, I don't know what we're gonna. We still never decided what we're calling our fans. Totem heads is fine. Totem heads is fine. You're totem heads now. You guys had your your chance to make it something different. But if you want to be a true totem head uh, and support the podcast, we do have listener support active. Uh, there are links in the descriptions on I think every podcasting service you're listening to. Uh, it's right at the bottom of all the links, and you just click that, and uh, it gives you the option to support. If you are somebody who may subscribe to like a Patreon or a Twitch or anything like that, it, it'll look very similar to you. And yeah, mm-hmm. that just helps keep the lights on. Uh, maybe stops exactly. our mixer from shutting off halfway through the episodes. Maybe. <laughs> who knows? If <laughs> there's no guarantee, but there's a chance. There is a chance. And now, after all of that, Nick, tell them who we're doing today. I would love to. We're starting off with the Black Keys today, and then we are moving on to Nora Jones, and then we're finishing things up with the one and only Willie Nelson. Absolutely. Uh, and and I, I assume you've talked so much that you want me to go first on the Black Keys when we get there? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, you'll go first. I'm just going to do okay. the little blurb. Please. So the Black Keys are an American rock band. They were formed in Akron, Ohio, and they've been active since 2001 to the present day. No breaks. Uh, so it's a duo. It's Dan Auerbach and Patrick Carney. And uh, obviously, three albums, boys and girls. That's what we did. Um, we started with The Big Come Up from 2002. We followed that up with 2011's El Camino. And then 2021's Delta Cream. So first and foremost, pretty even split of their discography. Yeah, right. A big, you you know, some big gaps, which kind of gives you the snapshot of this band, Mm -hmm. which we don't always get. So I'm I'm happy we got it here. I agree. Now, Nick, tell us about the big I'll talk about the big come up. Yeah. So uh, this was their big come up. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Not really. Great. Uh, Succinct to the point. I love it. Yes, exactly. No, but... uh, this is a very roots record. So you listen to this, even though it's 2002, and you're like, oh my God, is this like a blues album from 1950? Yeah. Because uh, that's pretty much exactly the style they were going for. Um, it is pretty much pure Mississippi Delta blues. Uh, it is obvious that that's what their big influence is here. So then when you start to look at the track listing... You see a bunch of covers of people like R.L. Burnside, Junior Kimbrough, Muddy Waters, uh, things like that. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone based on listening to like 30 seconds of any given track on this record. Uh, It's just very stripped. It's a very, you know, uh, uncomplicated. It's it's very minimalist uh, in its approach to playing the blues. And for what it is in that case, I enjoy it. I felt like the vocals were very gritty, but not particularly good on this album, especially in comparison to where we'll go on later albums. Uh, it was probably the weakest point for this one, uh, with the only other weak point being like, you know, it's very much in the pocket of Delta Blues. Like, it's obviously inspired by these guys from the 50s and, and before. And it never really tries to, to escape that uh you know, that container that it's in. Even when they covered the Beatles song, She Said, She Said, they yeah. really, like, tried to fit it into that Delta Blues mold, which, you know, like, credit to them for trying to do it completely different and their own way. Yeah. 
it's just a tough song to to measure up against because I think it's you know one of the greatest Beatles songs, and that's saying something. You think every song good. is one of the Beatles songs? Every time well, the Beatles I, have a song, you're like, oh, that's a top ten song. They have yeah, more than she ten said, songs. She said is she said she said is definitively like in that for me, like way back when when you and I came up with our top. 500 songs of all time like that was in my top 100 check it out on lowtotemband.com <laughs> you it is up okay though. you can you can actually yeah. check it out okay <laughs> even though i would like definitively want to update that and make it completely different at this point oh man but anyway well, we're gonna yeah. have to have somebody you else talk. do that <laughs> yeah just, i agree let me just tell you logistically a nightmare to do although actually it wouldn't be as bad sure. now since i'm not i'm home true maybe maybe we'll you know Instead of redoing it on the website, we'll talk about her as a mini series on the podcast or something like that in the future. Who knows? Maybe if but that's anyway, something that people want to hear. Yeah, you know. But I'm you talk here. about this album now. Yeah. So this is an album, and it was comprised of music, and that's important. Uh, no, I liked it. <laughs> it was not spoken word. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I, you know, I don't have the same. Shockingly, because uh, normally I'm the real stickler here. I don't have the same issues with the vocals as you, um, because when I think of the blues and like the old school blues sound, that kind of raspy, gritty voice is what I want to hear. Like Understand. that's just it's just like it's the voice that fits that genre the best. Yeah, like I wouldn't expect like a clean cut like like super vibrato heavy like piercing covered voice to sure to do the blues. So understandable. I, I'm totally fine with it. Uh, the only thing that I'm not a huge fan of here is, you know, in terms of covers, there's a decent chunk of them that are covers, and I don't want that. Um, Got they're, it. They're good. Mm-hmm. They're good. But, I mean, again, I, I don't think the one that I straight up knew beforehand, <laughs> which is She Said, She Said, did not, yeah. did not hold up to the original. No. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's... That's a problem for me. I mean, it's a good album, and I enjoyed it. In terms of debut albums, it's not bad at all. So let me be very clear about that. Um, one interesting thing that we didn't even mention was the the closing track. Uh, so the album itself is 54 minutes long on CD. Sure. And... 23 minutes of that is track 13, 240 uh-huh. years before your time. Right. Which is just a nothing. Yep. For most of the song. The vast majority of it is empty is space, just yeah. yeah, is just quiet. And then there's things at the end. Mm-hmm. So it was it was weird because I have the albums all queued up and I hear Brooklyn Bound, you know, and and, and that's something that this band does very well. Even in terms of like, you know, we're talking about that old school sound. Everything is two and a half to three and a half minutes. Sure. That's in between that range, pretty much. Uh, there's a couple that are shorter, and then there's 240 years before your time, which is 23 minutes and 20 seconds. <laughs> uh, but I thought, I literally thought, like, I was like, did my phone freeze? Because I have it playing on my phone. Like, sure, yeah. Did it freeze? Because it's just silent. It's not playing the second album yet. And that's why. But all in all, a decent debut. Uh, I, I like the blues. Uh, I like the blues rock sound. Uh, I have come out on the podcast before and said, like, I feel like, you know, if you're just doing the blues now, like, what are you bringing to the blues since the blues have been done? Mm -hmm. 
but I mean, the way that they do it, it's such an honest representation of it. Um, it's it's like a renaissance almost, and I, I kind of enjoy that. Okay. And now I'll take us into El Camino. Please. So this is the album that did put them on the map. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> definitively. Uh, and for good reason. Uh, so this one has its has the band's bigger numbers on it. Um, ironically, the one that everybody promotes as putting this album on the map, just looking at the track listing, I was like, okay. And listening to it, I did know the song, which is Lonely Boy, the opening track of the album. Right, yeah. But the the song that I think really stands up the test of time for them is Gold on the Ceiling, which is... It's definitely very well known. I think yeah. it's been used in a lot of like movies, commercials, TV, stuff like that. Which makes sense. And that's a great point because... This this album, particularly out of the three, is like made up of film soundtracks, mm. like made up of soundtrack songs. It's got that that vibe about it. Um, a couple things. One, I really enjoy that they added to the blues rock here. They didn't completely yeah. shift out of it. But exactly what I said, I wanted in the first album. I always if you're going to do the blues, I want you to bring something else. So now they're heavily kind of shifting into like a garage rock sound uh less of the blues rock but it's still there it's still kind of the floor of what they do and Mm -hmm. then the big thing for me is along with danger mouse they've written all the songs right yeah so and and i think the songs that they wrote are better because there's just a little bit more depth to them the problem with old school blues and it's it's a very standard problem is that the lyrics aren't always the deepest. It's always just kind of like simple problem, simple solution lyric, like right back and forth. Like, you know, well, since my baby left me, I had no place to go. Like, you know, like, sure. It, it, so like there's a little bit more depth here, a little bit more, th- a little bit more working behind the scenes in these songs. Um, all in all. And uh, the vocals are stronger. I know you'll, you were a yeah, little I bit. Uh, agree with that. You were harping a little bit, not in a bad way, about the vocals in the first one. They've definitely strengthened here. I fully agree, and uh, that's what I got. Yeah. Okay. I pretty much agree with what with your take. I mean, this album blew up all over the world. I mean, it was certifying pretty much everywhere, uh, and I think deservedly so. It's a much more complete sound, uh, I'll say, than the first album. Not that the first album sound was bad, but it was just so super minimalist. And it was like, you know, two guys sitting around a microphone with like a percussion instrument and a guitar. And that's all it sounded like. <laughs> yeah. Whereas this album feels really full. Like there, there's a more fully realized instrumentation for each song. And I think that makes it stronger. Yeah. Uh, especially, especially because it shows growth uh, between albums. And... Uh, I don't know if did you mention Little Black Submarines? That was my favorite track on this record. Oh, uh, I even did not though it mention was, it. I do love yeah. that song though. Yeah, totally. It was a nice little change of pace because the first half of it is very different uh before it kind of gets back into that rock and sound in the second half. Yeah. Um so I think that they're overall moving in a really great direction now that they've got a blues rock record uh heavy on the rock as opposed to just mm-hmm. a pure blues record no rock. Uh and then the only other thing I'll mention uh, is how much Danger Mouse adds to this album. 100%. Um, I, the keyboards that he adds, just the his impact on the writing, uh, I think it makes it a lot better. And then uh, 
there is a little snippet I will read from a Daily Telegraph review, basically saying, uh, the music has a timeless quality as suited to a 70s Midwest saloon as a student's indie disco. And I think that sums things up here pretty perfectly. Like, it really does feel like these songs belong almost anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I completely get that, and that's a pretty succinct review. Yeah. Uh, so now I talk about Delta Cream. Yes, uh, you talk about Delta Cream. I talk good. Um, if you haven't guessed, the Delta in Delta Cream is a reference to the Delta Blues. The Delta blues. variant. The Delta variant of the Blues. <laughs> Not, <laughs> yes. Um, and, I mean, it's a, it's a full cover album of Mississippi Bluesmen. R.L. Burnside... Junior Kimbrough, John Lee Hooker, Mississippi Fred McDowell. Like, that's what this is. They're all yep. classic old school Mississippi blues songs. Um, Don't forget my boy I think, Big Joe Williams. Of course. Of course. I would never forget him. Um, but it's good. It's good. Uh, it's a mixture, maybe, in the styles of the first two albums. Like, they're not as fully maximalist as the second album was, but they didn't reduce themselves all the way back to the super minimalist uh recordings of the first album either i think they tried to find like a happy medium to record these songs in yeah so i it, again it was like at least sonically different from the first two albums even though you know obviously it's a it's a full-on cover album uh and i thought the vocal sounded the best so far i think they continue to get better with each album which is really good uh i noticed at least in some spots like a very Paul Rogers sound alike uh, in the vocals. Not and, uh, a bad compliment, though. No, no. I mean, that's a, that's a very good thing to hear because Paul Rogers is very good. Um, Quite. The only song I'll comment on is Crawling Kingsnake, which <laughs> yeah. I wasn't familiar with the John Lee Hooker version, but I was super familiar with the Doors version, which I think was on L.A. Woman. It um, was. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, but... I know I've known that version for a very long time. So when this one came on and I saw the song was titled "Crawling Kingsnake," I was like, "Oh, it's got to be the same one that the Doors covered." <laughs> and I was really unsure whether or not it was for a while because it felt so different um, from the Doors version. But I think that's just yeah. because the Doors version is super different from the original. Yeah. So there's uh, there's some interesting stuff. Um. Particularly about crawling kingsnake because I I looked into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Ironically, <laughs> it just goes to show you how how small the pool really was back then. I guess uh, crawling kingsnake is credited as, uh, to uh, John Lee Hooker uh, right. on the album, and but it was first performed by Big Joe Williams, who was also credited as as a writer on this album, but not in that song. In the other in another song, um. So, yeah, just a small pool here. So he's credited for Mellow Peaches by Joe Williams, but he actually was one of mm -hmm. the first people to also record Crawling Kingsnake. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, <laughs> it looks like the song itself dates back to, like, the 1920s. Yeah. But it might have been inspired by songs that were even before that. Like, it's really interesting when you get into, like, these super old-school, traditional, almost, blues and folk songs from yeah. American history because they've gone through a lot of changes over time. And, and uh, I mean, I look forward to the day. Go ahead. No, no, no. Say your point. Okay, I was gonna say I look forward to the day where one where we do Lead Belly on the podcast because yeah. I think that will help us get a lot of insight into like the way a lot of these old songs were finally like 
found, written down, recorded, and like made available to the public to listen to for the first time, even though they'd been kind of like just floating around town to town for anyone who could play right. the guitar. Or piano and that and that's that. exactly what I find so interesting is like that literally was it. Like songs, yeah, didn't belong to people back then, really. Right, like yeah. they re- like nowadays. There's so much more ownership over your music and your writing and all mm-hmm. that stuff, and also like pretty typically as a band you're kind of expected to write your own songs or yeah. you know if you don't write your own songs like you're kind of seeing and, and i mean we fall victim to that as well quite a bit where it's like oh there's 12 writers on this album like like sure but back then it was that's what it was it was like you know you, know, you had mm-hmm. songwriters who wrote their songs and pumped their songs out and you know, fifteen people would pick that song and be like, "Oh, cool! I'm gonna play this at my gig," and and then they yeah. would play it all over. <laughs> and right, and they'd make it a little different for their town, or yeah. exactly. But so, it's yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's in, yeah, exactly. It's interesting stuff. Um, so for me, I liked a lot of this album. Let me be clear: I liked a lot of this album. I agree with what you're saying sonically, musically. It's it's a good place for them. Kind of, you know, a little bit heavier in the blues, but also still incorporating a little bit of that garage rock sound. But it's all covers, and that makes me sad. Sure. Because I really liked their writing. And then I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So now we've listened to an album that was, you know, 40% covers, and an album that's entirely covers, and an album that's 100% originals. Where does this band actually fall? And I went and, and right. checked all the rest of their stuff. In the rest of their discography, there is one other cover song. Yeah, there's not much. <laughs> there's and, one more, I believe. And yeah. then, so we literally got like 98% of their covers. Sure. Uh, which is just unfortunate for them. Um, cause Agreed. Because I think I, we both agreed that their fully original album was their strongest album. Agreed. 100%, and I think the world did, not just us. Sure. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's by far their best selling. It's their one that put them on the yeah. map. It's all that. So like, the world was like, oh, when these guys are just doing them, they're really good. Um, but sure. uh, you know, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It's you know, it's an enjoyable album. It's a little bit more stripped back. Um, you know, like Nick said, a kind of combination of uh, of stuff here. But all in all, I enjoyed them. I'm not going to keep talking about it. Let's grade them. Perfect. Okay. So. With you know cultural impact, yeah. The I know we were both thinking like we knew Gold on the Ceiling for sure. We listened, found out that we maybe had heard other songs before, especially Lonely Boy. Yeah. But I definitely think this is a band that has had cultural impact. I mean, like we kind of talked about, Gold on the Ceiling was really everywhere. It was being used all over television and movies, video games. Like it was uh goal songs for a couple of hockey teams it was like the official theme of nascar for a little while it was the 2012 uh ncaa tournament march madness uh theme song it's been around yeah and also these i mean that wasn't even their first multi-platinum album el camino like their album that came up before that was also multi-platinum so yeah these guys have had success and they're having pretty solid success not just in the united states but around the world like pretty consistently doing well throughout europe australia canada um so i mean i want to give them some credit here where sure. credit is due uh, you know what i, I think it approaches the average closer to like a four than a one for sure yes and uh, you know some other things on that they are also award winning 
Uh, they have mm-hmm. five Grammys out of 13 nominations uh, in between 2011 and 2015. So basically El Camino kind of started. But, it, you know, <laughs> they they did some winning here. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. So are you okay with like a four? Uh, yeah, I'm okay with going to a four. That's fine. All right, cool. Good. Um, And then I think we set our piece uh, uh, that, that the quality was good here. There are a total of 10 albums, which puts us certainly over the average. Uh, and they did sell or chart. Uh, and they get a little bit of a bump for that as well. Yeah. So that puts me in like maybe the lower to mid sixes with about four albums over. Plus they do well on the other two pillars. Um, yeah. Uh, you know what? That makes that makes sense to me. Just kind of looking over their sales numbers. They're pretty mm-hmm. consistent, um, especially yeah. in the middle of their career. Uh, charting really well the whole time. Yeah, I'm down with that. Okay. How about like 6-4? Six, 6-4 four? Six, four works. Yeah, let's do it. Perfect. Okay. Now, here's where, believe it or not, I have an issue. Uh, and it's not even, like, a bad issue. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, like, there is never a point at any time. Like, the craftsmanship of the songs, the original songs, was really good. But there's never any standout playing. And I don't mean that, like, they're not good musicians or anything like that at all. But it's definitively, like, a three-record span where there's not really solos that show off the instrumentalist. There's not really, like, super complex arrangements that show off the instrumentalist. It's, like, it's pretty milk toast. Uh in terms oh, of like milk showing off skill like it's very bland in terms of showing off the you know incredible skill that uh, these musicians may have um but i would probably be even like a hair just a hair under the average yeah i mean here's account. here's what it boils down to for me like i think that you know we kind of established that if you're not doing anything to take us out of the songs you're playing your instruments you know, without too much flash or pizzazz. Um, but you're playing them solidly. I mean, this, to me, screams average. It's like we're sitting in the pocket here. We're not doing anything crazy. We're not we're not taking too many risks, but we're playing our instruments just as well as pretty much anybody else is going to play them. Like, you know, we're just here comfortably. Uh, I'm willing to take away, like, you know, a point one because I know you don't like the vocals on the first album. That was only the first, yeah, but I, I do think they belong just slightly under, so 4.9 is fine. Uh, but I would put them a little over on songwriting talent, especially yeah. because of the growth we saw between the albums, and I think, you know, it was very clear that when they're writing their own music, they're at their strongest. Yes, I, I do agree with that. Um, I struggle here a little bit because of the sheer number of covers that we got. And, and that'll like, dock them down a little bit. And they're like, you know, just clean cut covers, which is also a little bit yeah. of a struggle. Right. I agree. That that'll knock them down a little bit, but I'm still in the fives. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm well in the fives here, honestly. Okay, like I, I think the songwriting is really good. I think we, you know, can see that a lot of this a lot of this work is written by them and their best songs are written by them, which always is a yeah. big thing for me. You know, even if you have a lot of covers and stuff, if you are the one who wrote your biggest hit, uh, you know, that just holds a place for me. Uh, So, like, I would be sitting near the sixes for the quality of the work. I'm down to knock it down a few, maybe like a five, six, five, seven, just to have. Yeah, five, seven works. Yeah, five, seven works here. And then Poetic is another couple notches down just because there's not all that much going on. Didn't take me out, um, but it's very simple. Yeah, um, it's not it, much. it's the blues. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's the blues, and yeah, 
the problem with the Blues, it's it's not even necessarily a problem, but the Blues themselves have never been like where you're going to get lyrical depth. If you want sure. lyrical depth, you want to go into other genres. That's just the way of the world. Mm-hmm. I agree. But it's enjoyable and, and nothing yeah, here, it, you know, like this is kind of where I would like almost cap straight up blues. And that's probably yeah. like three in between like a three and a three five. Okay. Because I well, just, we'll go with three, three then. Yeah. Right, right in the right middle. In the right. Yeah. That's, yeah. and that's, right. that's I'm fine, fine with that. Uh, and then there's not an X factor here, right? Uh, no, there would be an X no. factor if they ever only actually played on the black keys of the piano, but they don't. Yeah. They play on that the whole would piano. be interesting. Yeah. They use the whole thing. Jerks. What's your name then? Terrible. I know. All right. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Nora Jones. Nora Jones, uh, born Gitali Nora Jones Shankar, is an American singer, songwriter, and pianist. Uh, she's been active since 2000 to the present day, uh, straight on through, and gotta love her. Gotta love her. We did three albums. Yeah. Uh, as yes, as per usual, we did 2002's Come Away With Me, 2004's Feels Like Home, and 2020's Pick Me Up Off the Floor. Skipping the 2021 album, I Dream of Christmas, because it's a Christmas album. We don't do Christmas albums. Also, I read the track listing, and it's a good thing we're not talking about it, because it's just it's just the same, like, 12 Christmas songs that everybody does. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> Christmas can be more than 12 songs. Like, write about, write about it. Just write some new stuff about Christmas. I don't care if it's good or bad. Yeah. I mean, at least be original, I Nora. I hear you. Yeah. All right, but that's all I have to say. I guess I that's start. That's fine. With, Why don't you talk about her album? Yeah, I start with "Come Away with Me." Okay. <sighs> Nora Jones. What is there to say? Um, this is like an acoustic pop album. Uh, basically, is what it's labeled mm-hmm. as. There are some jazz influences here. For uh, sure. It starts the first track, which can either be a red flag or like a, a good start uh, either way. Um, but it's don't know why it's her biggest song right off the go. <laughs> like boom. Right. Which I didn't even know her version of. I only, I knew the song and I kept humming it for yeah. the entire week after I listened to this. And I was trying to figure out why I knew it. Cause I didn't, I wasn't really familiar with her version. Uh, and then I, you helped me realize when we were recording this, that it was uh Johan Kim, whose version I know of amazing musician. You can only really find him on YouTube, though. He's not, like, I can't find any of his stuff anywhere else. So if you're into Nora Jones, like, if you like these jazzy things, definitely look up Johan Kim and Friends uh, sure. on YouTube. You will uh, be very glad that you did. Right. Um, I'm glad I could help you remember. Of course. I'm glad I could jog the memory. Uh, so, But there are some interesting things here. Uh, so Nora did not write these songs. She wrote right. one, two, two or three of them. But out of 14 tracks, that's not a great it's number. It's not ideal. <laughs> also, the song Don't Know Why, her biggest song, is a cover. The original writer is Jesse Harris, uh, and it was on his album, Jesse Harris and the Ferdinandos. A classic record. <laughs> so, And he actually contributed more than just that. He also contributed like two, two or three other songs as well including co-writing with mm-hmm. her on The Long Day Is Over. Right. Um, the main issue that I have with this album is it's not meant to be listened to like this. Like, this okay. album 
the only way I can describe it is this album is meant to be listened to sitting on your couch in a candlelit living room, sipping a glass of wine as you get ready to smush. Like that's <laughs> that's what this album is for. It's a baby making album, hundred percent. And I I mean, if you could know the amount of babies made to this album, it might be more than the record sales. Which would be incredibly <laughs> impressive because million, this is one of the highest selling of albums of all time. Of babies. Yeah. But like it twenty seven million records have been sold, Pat. Right. So but like my point is the individual tracks don't stand out too much because they all have that like we're vibing. It's meant to be listened to passively. Um, on an active listen, you do get some good instrumentation. You get Nora's beautiful voice. Um, she has this very like smoky undertone kind of voice. Uh, she's not a belter. She's not going to, you know, blow the doors off the place. But she's got a, a beautiful sultry sound. That's yeah, perfect for smush songs. <laughs> and that's what she does on this. And she absolutely crushes it. But okay. at the same time, all covers and pretty samey. Yeah. Okay. So first things first. I'm not even going to talk about the album yet. Uh, the giant revelation that I had this week, which might be just like a duh for everybody else listening. I have no idea. I had no idea that Nora Jones was Ravi Shankar's daughter. Like that blew my mind when I found out. Ravi Shankar being like probably the most famous Indian musician of all time like a sitar virtuoso who taught George Harrison the sitar and a bunch of other things, played at Woodstock and all that. Uh, so I was just like completely dumbfounded when I found that out at first. Yeah. Now I can talk about her album, uh, which I liked a lot. I thought yeah. this was, you know, a really enjoyable listen. It kind of blew my mind that in 2002, this album sold 27 million. I mean, it didn't sell all 27 million in that year. But the era of music, I would have been like, if this album came out in 1955, it was going to be the bestseller in the entire world. There wasn't no even doubts. 27 million people in the world in 1955. <laughs> We're going to have to get somebody to fact check that, which is definitely wrong. It's impossible um, to fact check. The, the <laughs> censuses are, are, don't exist anymore. Good point. Um, but it just seemed like a very strange album to ha be that successful. And I don't mean that in a bad way because I really liked it. It's just not the kind of thing that I would think would sell massively to the public. It's a little too jazzy for that. Uh, but I'm glad it was successful because I really I mean, enjoyed it. I just it. told I really you why Nora. it sold so well. I, right, you did. Fair <laughs> enough. The, your, your theory is duly noted. Um, but I will say that this record is really great for like kind of easy listening in the background, not really like a deep dive into the songs, but it's also equally great for a close listening because like you mentioned, you get to hear, you know, really wonderful arrangements, great instrumentation uh, on everything. So, and, and that's really why I enjoyed it. I mean, my ma massive drawback is the same as the massive drawback I have on the next album, Feels Like Home, which is that she's not writing very many songs. You know, yeah. that's that's the issue here. She's just not writing a lot on these records, uh, even though they're super successful. She covers Towns Van Zant here on Feels Like Home, her second record. Our our dear friend Towns. My God, that was a smooth transition, buddy. I didn't even know you were there. Thank you. Yeah, right. Hold on. Um, Got him. So here is where the fact that all of these songs uh kind of just kind of drift along, they can start to really uh, all blend into each other at this point because I listen to both of these albums 
pretty much right next to each other. I really enjoyed each individual song still, but there was definitely a feeling by the end of this, it's like, okay, this is getting very blendy. It's like, I could use a change of tempo at this point. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there are still moments uh, of you know standout enjoyment, particularly on the song Creeping In. I really like the blue ga- bluegrass guitar. Um, kind of reminded me of Nickel Creek for just a little bit. Uh, so I was pleased to hear that little difference. Uh, but otherwise, it's the same as the first album, but just a little less because nothing new has happened since the first album. And I would have maybe appreciated this one more as its own thing if I felt like there was any kind of growth or change between the records. Sure. Uh, okay. Here's I'm going to read some stats and, and talk about my opinion on this album because that's what we do on Please. this podcast. It is. <laughs> uh, so Feels Like Home jumped out of the gate. It sold over a million copies in its first week of release. Um, it's the eighth largest first week sales album for a female artist. So, yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's huge. Some of these other names, I mean, you're going to know all of them. So you have Adele's 25, Britney Spears, Oops, I Did It Again, Taylor Swift with a bunch, 1989, Reputation, sure. Red, and Speak Now, and then Lady right. Gaga's Born This Way. So yeah, that's a really, a really powerhouse list to be a part of for uh, Nora here. Uh some of my issues with this album, as you mentioned, the sameness, uh, there's this like cover, and I don't mean like a cover of like a song cover. There's this, there's this like muddied cover tone yeah. that is used in all of these songs. That's like the, the, the bottom of the barrel here for me. Sure. Because looking at this, it's like the perfect opportunity for growth, for genre blending. It incorporates, you know, like the actual genres listed have folk and country and jazz and pop all mixed in together. Yeah. You have a Towns Van Zant cover, which is, I mean, obviously we know who he is. <laughs> we know the yeah, songs very that he folk wrote. Country. Um, which is ironic that uh which is ironic that he has Poncho or like, you know, Poncho and Lefty, Towns Van Zant, we're talking mm-hmm. about him, and yeah. then we're about to talk about Willie. Yeah, right. So it's just interesting stuff for that. But like you have a Towns Van Zant cover, so you're already in like that folky range. You have uh Creepin' In, which is featuring Dolly Parton, so you have a lot more of that country range as well. It just bugs me that you have all of this chance for growth and for, you know, a mix of genres and showing all that, and you get like the barest minimum of it because you're still getting all smush songs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how am I going to take this Towns Van Zant cover and make someone want to have a baby to it? Or not have a baby, make a baby. <laughs> I want right. to have a baby to this song. No. Yeah. I just, I just would like it to be here with me. <laughs> but, it, like, that's the problem is, like, this, at this stage in her career still, it's, it's tough to break out of that shell now. Yeah. Like, there's so sure. much to love here. The instrumentation is beautiful. Her voice is gorgeous. But it's just, it's all masked and muddied under that tone that it, it, it gets it gets a little, honestly, grating at this point. Sure. I Yeah, I totally get Especially it. since it fully feels to me like she is, like, trying to get out of this, like, molasses of of genre. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a problem. I think these, when, when listened to in succession, especially, these yeah. first two albums fall into the issue of, like, Every individual song is super likable, 
but it's actually weaker as a complete product because of the lack of variation. Hundred percent. Um, but that's that's where I am with this one. It's and and again, as you mentioned, a substantial number of covers. Um, yeah. yeah, like all in all, not loving where we're at so far. Loving the the individual pieces, not the product. For sure. Uh, so now we'll go to Pick Me Up Off the Floor, which is her seventh studio album. It's 2020 at this point, and she fixes everything. <laughs> so she fixes all <laughs> of her problems that I had. Uh, this album has some jazz pop, some jazz folk, some blues mixed in. Great mix of genres here. Great or- um, orchestration, instrumentation, and all written by Nora Jones. Yeah. So hashtag free Nora happened. Agreed. And they let her out of her cage here and she crushed it. Um I know I, I did went back and look I did go back and look and and they she was freed before this album. There was Yeah, there she was, was freed basically after the first two that we talked about. Yeah. They let her go and she just she just says put out beautiful stuff, but absolutely gorgeous on this one. First and foremost I wouldn't expect I you know I she's forty to forty one at this point, um, depending on when it got recorded. Absolutely would not expect vocal degradation there, but I just want to be clear. If anything, stronger. Yeah, she's crushing it vocally. She is there. There's just these sweeping orchestrations. Like this is what jazz should be over that muddy. Like I, it almost felt like. Earlier on, the writers were like, jazz is just this sultry, muddy sound. Like, it's the baby making music. This is like jazz. You know, some mm-hmm. interesting chord mm-hmm. progressions used, some interesting lyrical lines and melodies, and the beautiful voice. And we should talk about the beautiful piano playing of Nora Jones. Yeah, we have not very mentioned good. it. She's a phenomenal she's pianist. Very good. Um, so I I could sing the praises forever. Also, real quick, another one. Uh, Jeff Tweedy of Wilco fame right. is uh, credited as a co-writer on the song I'm Alive. Yes, very good. Um, and here I come to pretty much echo all of your sentiments. I mean, I thought this album was phenomenal. I think that when she was finally freed to do all of her own writing... Uh, as much as I enjoyed the arrangements and orchestration on the first two records, this was what was truly special. This was where she was at her most creative and innovative and interesting. Um, everything about these arrangements is, is even better than you know what we loved about the first two records. And uh, she even brings it into the vocals a little bit with the song This Life, which was the first time where I felt like she was now, at least in what we listened to, getting very creative with harmony as well yeah. uh, and bringing in her voice in multiple places as opposed to just getting creative with the instrumental orchestration. Um, so I have nothing but positive to say about this. I'm not going to just you know repeat everything you had to say, but it's clear uh, here that she she's writing on her own and she's a really great songwriter. Um, I was super impressed. So yeah. now I can grade her. Absolutely. And I don't know where to start with Cultural Impact because I had somehow, I mean, I've always known that Nora Jones existed, but I've never actually heard her songs or at least consciously known that I heard her songs before, which is kind of crazy. But she also has sold 50 million records, although more than half of that is just the first one. uh, But it's still good, I think. Like, it's not crazy high, but it's solid. So some some stuff here, some interesting stuff here to talk about. 
she's sold incredibly well. She's had sustained success. Um, she has uh, been featured in multiple films, which is something mm. interesting. Just want to throw that out sure. there. So she was uh, featured as herself in the film Two Weeks Notice, uh, an old rom-com starring Hugh Grant and uh, Sandra Bullock. Uh, but wow, how did I miss that one? She was, uh, she was like a leading actress in the 2007, 2007 I said, uh, 2007 romantic drama My Blueberry Nights. Alongside a pretty oh star-studded cast, Jude Law, Ra- uh, Raquel Weiss, Natalie Portman, you know, some interesting people involved. Wow, fascinating. I've never heard of that And film, Nora Jones is the first credit. Fascinating. So, you know, she's been in some films. She's She's been in some uh, some music stuff. She's been nominated and earned five Grammy Awards. Uh, okay. So so just tell me what, what, translate that into a number. A 12. And we'll go from there. Okay. The number I have is 12. a 12. I know, I but I mean, it's in. it's a little bit above uh, where we were with the Black Keys, obviously. Yeah, I would agree with that. So in the five still, or are you higher than that? Or uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's it's tough for me. I mean, I'm comfortable going probably in like the five, five, six range, maybe a little under. I don't know. That's five, do six. Do you want to do like five and a half? Yeah, five, yeah, let's do like a five. Yeah, five and a half works right okay. around there. I think that that's, that's a me. good spot for her. I agree. I agree. Uh, and I think this next uh, category is also a good spot for her because 50 million records sold. <laughs> Obviously, she does well yes. there. Uh, uh, she I would has say so. seven. She has seven records, so slightly above the average because uh, yes. we're not including the Christmas one. We don't believe in Christmas. <laughs> we don't believe it exists here on the podcast. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the quality it goes was December twenty four, yeah. December twenty six. Exactly. That's what my calendar says. Um, but the quality of the music was also very good. So I think she strongly upholds the, at least two of the pillars, and one yeah. she's like holding just a little bit above. Yeah. Uh, so for me, that that probably is going to catapult her into like the seven range. I was thinking low sevens myself. Uh, I would agree. Either a seven or a seven one probably is where I would land. I'll give you the seven one. Okay, do it. Do it. Done. Done. Yeah, we don't even have to. We don't even have to debate about it. Uh, but I also think that she should be a couple of points above average when it comes to instrumental talent. Well, we yeah, kind that's of already for mentioned, sure. Uh, both vocally and on the piano, I think very strong here. Yeah. Um, I, and obviously, like, everyone playing with her on these records, just to play these, like, a great contrast with the Black Keys, whereas, like, while we said there was nothing bad or offensive about their playing, the arrangements of those blues or simple blues rock songs are just so much easier to get through than the arrangements of a Nora Jones song. Yes. Like, you just don't need to be the same level of musician to play one as the other. Yeah, so instrumentally, it's it's tough for me. Uh, I'm I'm a little lower than I would think. I'm a little lower than I am for uh, Breath, but only just. I, okay. okay. Only, only just a little lower. It just... Yeah, I would have a hard time going much lower than that. I felt like there was never... A shining moment on the instruments, um, okay. As much as there could or should have been, especially just in jazz. consistent, just consistent quality. Yeah, uh, consistently at- quality, a consistent quality. Um, always playing structurally well together. It just ne- I never felt flashes. I mean, and Nora Jones, while okay. she has this lovely voice, and like I'm very impressed by the tone of her voice. She doesn't try necessarily to push. 
No, nor should she, because that's where she sits the best. Exactly. And I agree Um, with you 100%. I just typically in like, you know, especially when you're classifying it as jazz, mm -hmm. I didn't hear any solo stuff. Nothing really. Yeah, you're right. Well, what if I went from a 7-1 down to a 7? Would that be enough for you? I mean, I would maybe like to be in the sixes, like like the then even six, a six nine, nine. It is. Yeah, you got just it. just I feel like when you cross certain number thresholds, you're mm-hmm. equating certain things that I'm not trying to do on this. Sure. Okay. Uh, songwriting talent, I think, just gets stronger and stronger as she goes on. It's gonna hurt that she didn't write the first two albums for the most part. Yeah. Uh, but I think her talent as a songwriter is very evident on the last album where. Everything that's being done is a well above average. Sure. Here's my issue. Okay. I just talked about it with the Black Keys. I just talked about it. If your biggest song ever, which is which is don't know why, that's her biggest song here. That's the song that put her we put her everywhere um, in the early 2000s. Is a cover and it wasn't written by you. That's a problem. And her first two albums, which are by far her highest selling albums, Come Away With Me went diamond in the U.S. and then Feels Like Home went four times platinum, were largely not written by her at all. True. So those are some issues. and, And I understand that, and I think that will factor in. But objectively, just like taking that stuff out of it and looking purely at her talent as a songwriter based on the albums on which she wrote the songs. Extremely talented. I'm not obviously way above average on her own personal work. Yeah, and I'm not. And I don't think we would like if we looked at an artist who, like, say, didn't have any of the level of fame as Nora Jones, but put out like five albums, which is what Nora put out of stuff that she wrote on her own of this quality. We would be talking about how great of a songwriter they were and how far above average they should be. And I agree. That's what I. Yeah. But the problem is. That's not what happened here. We can't, like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if the only, honestly, I feel like she would have a little bit of a higher score here if the first two albums didn't exist. She'd have lower scores everywhere else, let me be clear. But But yeah, definitely. But I think the, I think the highest I can go here is average because her Uh, first two albums. My absolute floor. Her, because I would definitely be above. Yeah. I mean, listen. Quality-wise, I want, like, being clear, quality-wise, on the original stuff that she wrote after the first two albums, that last album, if the, you know, I didn't listen to the ones in between because that's not what we do. Sure. Um, but if the if the ones in between are skewing closer to the last album than the first album, she'd be well in the sixes. Well, but I agree. The, you know, the fact that her two biggest albums, including her biggest hit and all these all right. things are covers. I'll give you and the five, for her. but just know that I'm, you know, I am personally definitely higher than that. And so am I, but uh, I, I'm trying to keep it objective. And poetically, I think I'm not going to fight that hard on this. Although I will say it's still definitely better than like the simple blues lyrics of a band like the Black Keys or their Yeah, it, and it's better. Um, the problem is all the Smush songs weren't written by her, so you don't get credit for right. them. And also they weren't that lyrically deep. And even her last album, the lyrics weren't what was so impressive at all. It was no, always no, but the they instrumentation. They were not lyrics which would have lost her any points had this been like a full Nora Jones episode. She would probably yeah. still be sitting in the five range. 100%, and I'm going to take her down a little bit again because she didn't write any of the lyrics Fair of the first enough. two albums, really, including her two biggest songs. Right. Um, I want to put her a little bit above 
where we put the black keys. Where do we put the black keys at? 3.3. So let's so put her at a three and a half. Yeah, right there. And then she gets X Factor. 100% she gets X Factor. Because 50% of her genome played at Woodstock. <laughs> not quite. Why? Is that not the reason? No, but we can give her some points for being Ravi Shankar's daughter. That's yeah, a, I, I mean, that's a should. big familiar connection. Ravi Shankar is, yeah. you know, well-known in the community. Now, if only she was related to Randy Bachman as well, that'd then we'd huge. really be going My places. Gosh. Although, I don't, that'd, be, that'd be quite a, a family tree. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but, I mean, and then 50 million albums sold. I mean, that's, that's a huge threshold, a huge number to hit. Sure. I mean, I think we're talking more about if it's an X-Factor area, it would have to be, like, considering... One of the greatest individually selling albums of all time with 27 yeah, million 100%. copies for Come Away With Me. I think that's more of an X factor than 50 million overall because we've talked about many artists who have hit that threshold at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's true. We have. That's part of what we do here. But I mean, it's still a huge, especially I would say that that's arguably almost more impressive because I feel like out of the artists we've had that have hit that 50 million threshold. Nora Jones may be one of the least well-known by name only. Okay, that's certainly that's, very, very that's possible. That's like definitely, I agree. A, you know, like, and and I, I feel like a lot of people may not necessarily just have that recognition of her for her. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but I'll, I'll give her a point. Yeah, How about all that? in all, I was thinking a point uh, mainly for the Ravi Shankar and the first album. Perfect. Okay, let's move on to Willie Nelson. Willie Hugh Nelson. As an American musician, actor, and activist who's been active for a thousand years. Or from nineteen fifty. Activist active. This is yeah. very good alliteration. He's an active man. Uh so he's been active since nineteen fifty six. Cause of course he is. Of course he's been active of course. since nineteen fifty six. Uh and the the trouble is in that time he barely released any music, which is it's weird, right? Like yeah, since barely, 1956, barely he's only released 95 studio albums. What is this guy doing? <laughs> like, I mean, he's practically sleeping out there. Uh, yeah, uh, seriously. So also, obviously, can I say I love that his name is actually Willie, right? And not is, William. Yeah, right. 100. percent Uh, so we listened to all 95 of them, uh, right? But in, instead of that, we listened to three of them because what are we gonna do? I mean, <laughs> who has time? Who, who's got the time? Not even Willie's got in my the time. Yeah, I mean, I've listened to several others at different points in my life, aside from just these three. Yeah, and I mean, we've all heard Willie Nelson songs. Yes. So we did And Then I Wrote, which came out in 1962. We then did Stardust from 1978. And then we did That's Life from 2021. And yes. let's just clear the air here. There is mm -hmm. another album coming out. Bef in between us recording this and us releasing this, Correct. Uh, it's coming out on November 19th. We're recording this a little bit before the 19th. Um, it's called The Willie Nelson Family. And as decried in the title, uh, it's Willie Nelson and his family, his sons Lucas and Micah, yeah. uh, his daughters Paula and Amy, and then his sister Bobby are all Lovely. accompanied and they're... They're playing uh, covers of inspirational songs and then also some reinterpretations of N Willie's classic songs. And uh, a cover of George Harrison's All Things Must Pass is already available at this time. So I already listened to that, which was nice. Yes, I actually listened to that, too. That's one of the perks of us uh, having to 
have our mixer die in the middle of recording. Yeah, yesterday. you got to listen to that. I got to listen to that. Made nice. it all worth it, right? Ha- yeah, it, it was totally worth it. Definitively did not make it all worth it. No. All right, so I'll talk. Uh, <laughs> yes, talk. And then I wrote. So the first thing I thought when I saw this album was, who the hell is this guy on the cover? <laughs> like, that's not Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson has long braided hair and wears a bandana. Uh, yes. This is some, like, clean-cut guy in a suit with short hair. Yep. Uh, it was just bizarre to see, like, the 1962 version of Willie starting out and how, you know, different everything will be uh, when he really uh, hits his stride in his career. Um, but that being said, a lot of songs on this record are pretty big, although a lot of them are essentially were covered by other or originally recorded by other famous country artists. Yes. Uh, and became hits first with Willie just as the writer. Uh, and then he released his own version of his songs on this record. Uh, so it was really great to see the fact that at this time, this early on, here is a guy who is primarily a songwriter who's doing his own stuff. Uh, yeah. And I think he writes very well. I think he writes really good country songs for the time. Uh, there are, I'll say this about his voice, which, you know, he's not going to win any singing competitions. But no, unless it's when a we Willie Nelson about, sound alike. No, exactly, which he may win. Um, but sort of like when we talked about Katy Perry, we mentioned Snoop Dogg, and I was just like, there's just such a nice quality to his voice that I just enjoy listening to. <laughs> it's soothing. Compare, oh, hold on. I am. Hold on. I am. Hold on. I need you, you think to... Willie and Snoop Dogg don't have anything in common? That's what I'm about to say. Are you really about to compare Willie Nelson and Snoop There are 10,000 burned up pounds of marijuana that disagree with you, no, sir. No, I'm not disagreeing with they, you. I'm they might be like... the two highest gentlemen in the history of the world. They have a lot in common. <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm saying. You, If you're going to compare the two of them, you have to talk about the fact that they both smoke a ton of weed. Yes. Um, but... Willie has that same type of voice to me that's just very soothing. Like, I just really enjoy the the soothing nature of it. Like, there's something that I just like about the tone of his voice, even though he's not, like, classically a good singer. Uh, But like I said, he does write very good songs on here, uh, and I think there are no weak spots on this album. Like, all 12 of these songs hold up very nicely. Hello Walls and Funny How Time Slips Away, I think, were definitively my favorites, so I thought they were really great, his, you know, I, it's weird to say like his version of them, even though he's the original writer of them, but these weren't the original recorded versions of the songs, but I really right. like uh, his version. Yeah. Uh, I Listen, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I don't love Willie Nelson's voice at all, um, especially when I feel like kudos for recording your own written songs, uh, but I feel like the people that wrote, recorded them... I feel like there's like a Bob Dylan-esque thing happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Dylan has a terrible singing voice and is a phenomenal writer. And Willie Nelson is a significantly better singer than Bob Nil- Dylan. Yes, that is very true. I'm not comparing the two of them in terms of quality of voice. I'm saying like I get that same vibe where it's like he writes really, really well, but the people that cover his stuff is, is kind of why it blows up. Like Patsy Klein is a better mm-hmm. singer. Sure. Oh, undoubtedly. <laughs> who sang crazy. Uh, Farron Young, who sang Hello Walls originally is better. Um, I have no, no uh, disagreement there. Yeah. So that, that's just kind of where it comes at for me. But 
I do have a question, which I'm curious about, Nick. In your opinion, so he has seven. I'm sorry, 95 studio albums. What percentage of his writing do you think has been has been released? Like, do you think he just just he just writes? And then every song he writes becomes on an album? Or do you think he's like a lot of other artists where he'll like pick and choose? And there's like actually 500 Willie Nelson songs that he just scrapped. Yeah. like That's that- very possible. Or there might have been stuff that he was like, I bet you a lot of it is like stuff that he was working on in 1971. And he never really got around to it. And then he went back to the archives in like 84 when he was working yeah. on it. Obviously, this and one like was this almost there. Yeah. Let me fix that up. I got it now. Like, I bet a lot of that happened over the course of so his So do career. you think, like, are we talking like 80% of his written stuff you think has been released? Do you, you think higher, lower? Oh, God, I have no idea. It's tough. I, right? I don't even want to venture to guess. With this much released work, it's got to be, like, it's got to be a high percentage of his, like, you know, you, you can't have too sure. many scrapped songs when you have 95 albums. It's hard You're to right. scrap anything, really. You're then. right. Yeah. Um, but, but, look, it's impressive that he wrote all of it. It's good. It's... It's good, and that's a. But the 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 vocals really suffer for me here. As much as I okay. love Willie as a person, uh, and I'll bring us into Stardust, please. It's similar to me, um. And, but don't get me wrong, I recognize like it's not bad, and that's the thing. Like Willie Nelson has such a unique voice, um. He, but he takes he takes these risks. That confuse and confound me in places. <laughs> um, so this is a cover album, and it correct absolutely exploded. This album, yeah, is like in the in the hall in the Grammy Hall of Fame. This album is like on the top five hundred albums list from Rolling Stone. It went like quintuple 260. platinum. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's it's a, it's been around the block. Yeah, and it was Willie's decision too. The company didn't want him to do it. From, yeah. I don't know if you looked at the record companies like Willie. You're, you're so successful because people know you're the guy who writes his own songs. Like Willie yeah. Nelson, the songwriter, is the super famous, incredibly important guy. Why would you do covers? And he's like, "Well, I really love all these songs. I grew up with them, 100%. and I would like to bring those songs to a new generation of people." And I very much appreciate the sentiment. I struggle a little bit with the execution <laughs> because some of these songs were done so well and so iconically by other people. And again, I just I feel like the Willie Nelson performance of them is 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 the risk. So he did Georgia on my mind, mm-hmm. pretty famously covered by another guy, uh, uh, yeah, uh Mr. That Ray we talked Charles. about. Yeah. Which I'm not even going to do the six degrees. I've done it enough. But, <laughs> you know, so interesting to do. Um, he also did Unchained Melody, but mm-hmm. like in that very stripped down Willie Nelson style of like acoustic sound. Um, and he did Someone to Watch Over Me, um, which is a George and Ira Gershwin song. Pretty famous song. <laughs> I. I get it. I understand why it blew up. I get the popularity of it. You know, all these covers, seeing Willie Nelson do something completely different. I just feel like it's it's difficult for me to to talk about the positives without like he's not a great singer, and these are vocal heavy songs. That's true, and that's just that's difficult. So, like as much as I I enjoy 
the the persona of Willie Nelson, and I I enjoy you know a lot of his stuff. If you're gonna compare yourself to other artists like this, like the individual songs fall flat to me. Okay. Uh, so they don't fall flat for me. I really enjoyed this record. Um, okay, sure. But let me get into this with a quote from a critic. He said, I'm really happy this record exists, not just because Nelson can be a great interpretive singer, uh, but because he's provided me with 10 great popular songs that I've never had much emotional access to. Um, and that was Robert Criscow who said that. But I think yeah. the message there is important. Ten great popular songs that people previously, with you know a few exceptions, because obviously like Ray Charles's "George on My Mind" is you know well renowned as it should be. A lot of these songs maybe just didn't have a version that resonated with people up until this time previously. Like this made these songs more lovable and accessible to a new generation of people. I really appreciate that. I really enjoyed them. Again, obviously Willie's not blowing the doors off of anyone vocally. But I love the arrangements. I th- thought all these songs were really well arranged. Um, and you know why? You know who arranged them all? It was me. It was Booker T. Jones. <laughs> Good Booker old T. Booker did all T. the arrangements. Yeah, man, he he, he is like the the MVP of music history. Like really, I, he doing is this podcast like really lets me know that too. Like Booker He's T. Just is incredible. Around. Yeah. Uh, but he arranged all these songs for Willie, and I think he does a phenomenal job with the instrumentation and arrangements of sure. all of these. Uh, I particularly absolutely loved the beautiful guitar playing on the title track, Stardust. That really was a moment, an instrumental moment that really stood out to me. Um, but other than that, I think we've said all there is to say about this record. It was an absolute classic. It's, you know, critically lauded. It's you know, on the Rolling Stone top albums and the Grammy Hall of Fame and all that other stuff. And I think for good reason. I get it. I'm so not now, disagreeing with you. I, I, I'm more of a vocal person. And I just... And it's tough. I, I've, it's been made very clear over three seasons that that is, uh, that is your primary lens, my friend. It's tough. So I'm going to move on to That's Life, which, if you can't guess um, by the title... It's a Frank Sinatra cover album. Yeah, the second one in his Sinatra collection. Correct. And I was going to say, and it's not the first time he's done that. It is his second um, purely Frank Sinatra cover album. And let me start out with two major positives for this album. One, we've done three Willie Nelson albums, and we have gotten three very different styles of music. Yes. There has been a lot of variation that's happened here. Two, for an 88-year-old man, he his voice now qualifies as great. For 88 years old, <laughs> it's just incredible that he can do anything at all. Here's the vocally. thing. It's the <laughs> same voice as it's the, the same 1962 voice. track. Exactly, which He's... is remarkably impressive to me that for 70 years, this man has had the same voice. Yeah. 70 you know, years. You know what's interesting, Nick? I did the math real quick. That first mm-hmm. album came out. When he was the age we are now. There you go. What Amazing. A man. Yeah. Um, but I mean, other than that, I'm not, I don't have too much to say about this album. I appreciate that he's trying something completely new. Every time we listen to him, it's something completely new. I'm glad to hear that at this age, he can still, you know, sing as well as he ever could, essentially. Um, and I, I you know, I, I'd take the Sinatra version. I'll take the Sinatra version of these songs, obviously. Um, yeah, because like 
it's Frank Sinatra, and he was really good at singing. But good for you, Willie, for for still going, for still putting stuff out there. Uh, I'm not going to just sit here and rip this album because it's not as good as Sinatra because it was still pleasant to listen to. I didn't mind it. Okay. Yeah. Let me be clear. I also don't mind it. I also appreciate the hell out of a man who is so passionate about music that he just needs to continue creating it. Uh, Nobody. I would be shocked if anybody listened to this album and legitimately tried to compare it to the Sinatra songs. No, there's because no reason to do that. that would be an issue and a problem, and you shouldn't do it. Um, but I think there's... Willie is one of the artists, in my opinion, that has earned the right to rest on his laurels. And totally so fair. at this point, you know, it almost... To me, what it feels like is like, you know, your your grandma and your grandpa worked a you know a tough job their entire life, and then they retire and you know take up a hobby. And it just so happens that retired Willie's hobby is the same as his work. Yeah, it, it's to just record other people's songs. Ex- now, exactly. Instead of, instead of writing and you know going through that whole rigmarole and recording all of the you know his original tracks and touring based on that, he's just like you know what, man. I like this stuff. I'm going to sing it and record it. I, yeah, and he said that too. Like he's very he's been very open about it. like, you know, I've got all this time and I've got all this music that I absolutely love and I just I want to perform it and I yeah. want to have record of it. So, you know. Yeah, so I, I this is where like Stardust, it's, you know, the 70s, he's younger. It, I'm going to compare, I'm going to be a little harsher of a critic on that one in terms of like you're putting yourself up vocally against these other people. You're not coming out strong. I get the I get the emotional factor of it. I guess for me, I never struggled finding emotions in those songs. Mm-hmm. Like George on my mind, the Ray Charles cover of George on my mind, like is incredibly emotional to me. You know, totally. so like you know, but that you know that's in the past now. This one I I don't have that same negative opinion about because while again, he's not going to score any points vocally. Like sure. at this point it's it's very evident what he's doing. And I think with the amount of release music and and Willie Nelson being one of the most hard working writers in music, he gets his he gets his swan songs. Sure. Let's grade him. Okay. So this first number, cultural impact. Ah. Uh, I mean it's it's pretty good, man. It's pretty good. It's pr- it's, it's, pretty it's Willie good. Nelson. I mean he's He's about as famous in country music as you can be. Yeah. I mean, and he's just been absolutely consistently out there. I mean, he's been in a bunch of TV and movies and stuff like that. Like, he's just an icon. He's an absolute American music icon. I mean, my number has got to be, there's no way it's not in the nines for someone who's as iconic as Willie. So I'm not disagreeing with you. My number would probably be a nine. Okay, because I think he starts to get there into that like household name status. He's definitely and that, I, and I feel like I feel like he has you know written a ton of stuff and and had his work covered really well and has hit you know the different points of culture throughout the decades. Of course. Um. So yeah, I'd be kind of hovering around a nine, you know, hitting that icon threshold, but not necessarily being the top tier icon himself okay um 
How about a 9-1? Can I get you that high? Can Willie get you that high? <laughs> Willie could get me to a, a 20. So um, I'm sure. Yes. What if I, I told you he's in the Country Music Hall of Fame, he's won the Gershwin Prize from the Library of Congress. Um, what if I told you he was a critical part of setting up and delivering on Farm Aid in 1985? Uh, right, I'll give you the 9-1. Okay. You're working hard for it. You earned it. I am. Breath of work. Um, well, I guess we can start from the 95 albums. <laughs> so let's let's take a look in general because not all of them are uh, original like solo albums. No, not all of them. There, there are definitely a lot of uh, uh, particularly late in his career. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of collaborative of albums, but we're talking um, about a lot of collaborative uh, stuff. Seventy solo studio albums as Correct. we would classify them. Yeah. And, and then now another I've 25 a, collaborative. Right. And I've had a little bit of trouble getting definitive numbers uh, on his sales. I mean, a he lot of gold. 40 million in the U.S. alone. 40 million in the U.S. alone is what I'm getting. And a lot of these albums are also going gold or platinum in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, places like that. Uh, so I would say he's got to have at least 50 million worldwide records. I mean, just even if you take away the entire 25 collaborative albums, he still has more than 10 times our average. Oh, yeah. Are we at a 10 or are we in the high nines? Uh, Yeah. And for me, I would I would also say that the quality is good for those albums. I really enjoyed listening to them. Uh, Yeah. I mean, other than Um, other than just some of the the vocals and Stardust. I mean, here's the issue. Even if we grant him even if we grant him 60 million albums, uh in the rest of the world for a total of 100 million. He's not in he the He would still then have 500 million albums less than the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I, mean, I mean I'm very comfortable putting him in like a 9-3 range. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, 95 albums um all decent enough quality to not lose yeah. points for me and gain points maybe from you and yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh instrumental talent, this is probably is his weakest category to very me. Very weak. I don't me. think it's bad. I don't think it's bad cuz I don't I don't think Willie Nelson is a bad singer. He's just certainly not a good singer. Yeah, um, he's below. He's and, a below average singer. And the guitar playing is fine all the way through, but I do think there are moments, like particularly on Stardust, where I was like, "Oh wow, now we're talking." Like, especially after the first album, I was just like, "Okay, Willie is a kind of strummit guy, strummit and sing." Mm-hmm. And then I heard him do some other stuff, and I'm like, "Okay, there is more to him than that. He is." Okay. He is not just that guy. So something that would have like severely hurt my score in terms of his guitar playing, I actually don't agree with that by the end of the day. I think he is actually very competent. Sure. Uh, look, I mean, my score was in the fours. Let yeah, me be clear. I was like, you'd have to work very hard to get me anywhere near average here. I'm, Understandable. I, I'd be very comfortable giving him like a 4-3. And I would be comfortable with that as well. Yeah. that's. But I think he goes up in songwriting. Because because he's written a bajillion songs. I mean, the amount of songwriting he has done, the amount of success he's had with the songs, the fact that they are very good songs, like very enjoyable songs, whether Willie's singing them or whether somebody else is doing it. Uh, and the fact that even when he wasn't writing all of his own music, he was at least using that as an opportunity to explore other genres and styles and do something different on his records. Yeah. All that stuff counts as a positive for me. Yeah, I, I mean, this is definitely going to be a higher score. It's not the highest score that you're going to get. No. This, for me, Willie Nelson's songwriting is a quantity game. Sure. 
you know, that's like the, that's obviously, part of it. obviously there are some that really stuck out, but you know, it's a sure. quantity yeah. game. Uh, I'd probably sit it be sitting in like the the low eights. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's higher than I thought you would be. I would go to an eight. I think I would go to an eight. I can live with an eight. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably about where I'd stop. That's fine. Uh, and I'll be honest. I think especially for the early sixties, because. And then I wrote was the only album of, you know, all Willie songs. I yeah. thought the the words were good. I thought the words were good. Like, he wasn't blowing the doors off of anybody or writing, like, the most amazing poems of all time. But, like, they weren't just average to me either. No, I felt like they, they were. Uh, this, is, this is definitely an above-average score, but the level of above-averageness is questionable. Agreed. I'd be willing Fully to agreed. go into, like, maybe in between a five and a half and a six, probably. I would agree with you fully. Uh, so I'll just take the average of that and go 5.75, which rounds up to a 5.8. That's fair. Now, for X Factor, I've mentioned a few things. I think we all agree that he's going to get X Factor points. Because Hold on. This really is important. Innocent. This is important. Okay. Who do you think, I mean, not over the course of their lives because he's been alive for so much longer, but who do you think on average smokes more weed, him or Snoop? This is a big X Factor Oof. question for me. I was going to, yeah, definitely over the course of their life, it was definitely Yeah, I Willie, mean, per pound, pound per year, it's got to be Willie because he's been alive for so much longer. Yeah. But, but you know, on average. It's a great question. He's 88. He's probably smoked for 80 of those years. I mean, let's be yeah, real. Yeah, it definitely started right away when he was eight years old. Well, he said he wrote his first song <laughs> at seven and joined his first band at 10, so. Incredible. In between seven and 10, he's probably smoking weed. Yeah. Um, it's I don't tough. know. It's That's tough. tough. That's tough. But, I mean, more realistically, uh, I mean, obviously, Willie's had some success and some some accolades that would uh, put oh, him yeah. in the X Factor category. For sure. Yeah. Like I said, one of the big ones for me was, you know, being a major part of setting up Farm Aid. I believe Neil yeah. Young and John Mellencamp were the other two, like, major organizers for that, along with Willie. Um, but what you might not know is because of his instrumental role in, in setting up the Farm Aid concert, Willie is not just in the Country Music Hall of Fame. He is also in the National Agriculture Hall of Fame. Really? I don't know if we... Yeah. I, I mean, don't think we've like, ever had It's rare that. that someone is in the Agricultural Hall of Fame. <laughs> but now, I got to bring it up because I may never have the chance again. I think even more importantly, though, than that, which is something that we need to talk about. Good, because I have something else, too. Is that... Willie Nelson played Uncle Jesse Duke in the 2005 Dukes of Hazard remake. That's true. He played in all of those Dukes of Hazard things from the 2000s. Yeah. Um, but here's something else that's real. Um, so Willie, <laughs> how dare not that you? That's not real. But uh, Willie and his style of country is called outlaw country, generally, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and in the mid 70s, his record label put out uh, a comp compilation album called wanted the outlaws it was uh willie Waylon, jesse coulter uh and somebody else was on the record i can't remember who off the top of my head but like big the biggest names in outlaw country essentially and yeah. that was the first record in the country genre to get an riaa platinum certification ever wow yeah now since then like i think maybe Redheaded Stranger came out a little bit before that, and then had since has since gone multi platinum. But he was on the very first album in country to go platinum ever. All right, how about four points? Yeah, I can I can live with that. I, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to give him four. Let's Definitely give him there. Four. Are. 
Let's do it. And I've got scores. Score them up, baby. And coming in third place today. You loser. Uh, very unfortunately for them, because we enjoyed them, it's the Black Keys yeah. uh, with a 24.3, which is a strong showing for, for yeah. third place. I'm really enjoyable. Uh, and kudos Could have won some weeks this season. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and then winning this episode. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. With a 40.5. Was me. Is Willie Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> Good well, old okay. Willie. Yeah, and it, it was bound to happen that Willie was going to win. Uh, um, congratulations, Mr. Yeah, Nelson. For sure. Come by to pick up your prize anytime. Yes. Uh, Nora I'll... Jones also did a had a very nice showing with a 29. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so uh, Mr. Mr. Willie Nelson, uh, you are you're welcome to come pick up your prize. Uh, your prize is actually getting to cover Lifetime Left to Go. Uh, yeah, sure. Put that really, do do a whole album. He has my permission to do our entire album. Yes, he has my permission as well, and that's it. And that's all he needs. Uh, so if you yeah, want to exactly. cover our album, um, I would love to be a credited writer on a Willie Nelson album. Absolutely. Everybody else has been at this point, based exactly. on how many of these he's put out. So. I've earned this. <laughs> yeah. I've earned this. We talked about you on our podcast. Yes, and we said nice things. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that is, uh, that's all I got, bud. Okay, so I guess I will uh, tell everybody why they should tune in next week. Yes. Uh, if you really liked the Willie Nelson listening this week, uh, we've got an artist who is Almost the same thing coming up next week. I think you're really going to like them. Uh, Rage Against the Machine. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they are, the they're exactly like the, the Willie same. Nelson of the 90s. Oh, my gosh. I hope, I hope they've been described as that before. That would, that would <laughs> really not, they cause have now. me joy. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Uh, I'm not going to repeat all the stuff I said in the beginning. It's in the beginning. Um, if you like us, you know what to do. Everybody... Stay safe, uh, live your truest lives. Uh, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us as we yearn to discover the best musical acts of all time. Uh, so you go, listen to some music, make some of your own, and most importantly, have a great day. Mm-hmm.